Welcome back to another episode of Two Hats Podcast. I am the Tactical Probation Officer, and this is my co-host, Brittany. Hey, hey, everybody. So welcome back to episode two. Um, we appreciate you guys that uh, subscribed to us, um, that left some comments in our first episode. Uh, we've been getting a lot of positive feedback on our Instagram page. Um, you know, a lot of people are saying, you know, this is something that's needed. Um, you know, a lot of people that are in the field that don't feel like we get as much attention as we should for the roles that we do play in the community. Um, so we are back for another episode and our plan is to keep this going. All right. So for today's episode, um, we're going to kind of go kind of slow things down and we're going to talk about what is community supervision slash community corrections okay because when you have those titles there's a lot of different um job titles that kind of go underneath it so depending on where you are um in the country whether you're you know working a local municipality a county a state or even the federal federal government there's different jobs that go into community supervision so we're going to talk about it from the beginning and then all the way to the end. So just a quick uh, breakdown of kind of how the criminal justice system works. So a lot of people know about cops. So criminal breaks into somebody's house, uh, you know, the cops are called, cops arrest them, take them to jail, they see a magistrate, they get a bond, they either stay in jail till they see a judge or they're released on bond. They're given a court date, and then at that point, you know, they're, they're convicted, all right? At most, a cop might interact with that offender. How many times do you think a, a cop would interact with an offender just in, in the duties of what they do? With that one particular offender? Yeah, for that guy that broke into somebody's house and got caught. It literally might be the first and only time. It could be the first and only time. That's true. That's true, because if... From the time they arrest them, if that offender takes a plea and doesn't have a hearing, doesn't go to trial, you're right. That's that might be the only time the officer ever has an interaction with um, that offender. Whereas opposed to someone that's in community supervision, man, we get, we get to know that offender. Um, I mean, we see them. Man, it could be you know it could be as little as once a month to as much as four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times a month. Exactly. Not only do we know them, we also get to know their family. Don't forget that part. Exactly. Because we have to, you know, big part of our, our jobs is going to their homes and, you know, their families are there. Um, and I, I, towards the end, we're also going to talk about what are called criminogenic needs. And a big part of uh, community supervision is doing um, risk assessments. Um, so at the end of this podcast, towards the end, we'll talk a little bit about that also. So, so if you so we're going through the, the the criminal justice process, you have the arrest, you got the magistrate part, you got the bond part, and you have the court and everything that goes along with it, where it's a plea or trial or hearing, and then at some point the offender is convicted. Okay, so in the beginning, there is what's called uh, pretrial, and um, Brittany's going to talk a little bit about that. Then after pretrial, they get probation, all right? Then if they go to prison at some point, there's what's called parole and post or post-release supervision at the end. So community supervision, 
starts pretty early in an offender's in the offender's process in the criminal justice system, and it goes. It can be the very end of their. Of hopefully, the community supervision is the very end of their involvement in the criminal justice system, if they don't recidivate. recidivate. Um, so I'll turn it over to Brittany, and we can talk about priest uh, pretrial. Pretrial. Okay. So where I work, more so they we refer to it as bond supervision. To be honest. So what that means, the offender has committed a crime, has gone to jail, been magistrated, and the judge has given them a bond. So they are released on bond. But as a condition of that bond, they are required to report to a supervision officer just as they would if they were on regular probation. So those stipulations, they're going to include um, drug tests. Well, they could include drug tests, monthly meetings. They could include probation fees, um, curfew. There could, there could be monitoring uh, systems that could be put in place, maybe an interlock device for the vehicle if it's like um, a driving while intoxicated offense. So it's very similar to being on regular probation, but the judge has not convicted this person of this crime yet. So they're still going through the court process, but they're still being supervised. Um, a lot of people they get to this pretrial, this bond supervision state, and they feel like, okay, if I mess up on this, then yeah, there's no chances of me being able to get on regular probation, which is sometimes true. But as a PO, if you are working as a pretrial officer or a bond officer, you're going to be required to do a little background information on this offender. Um, you're going to be required to um, get their criminal history. And we're going to be required to ask them a lot of background information to see if they are fit for regular probation because not everybody's in a mental state or just able to complete probation. Uh, believe it or not, a lot of people aren't. So as a bond officer or a pre-trial officer, you're going to be responsible for that. So you, where I worked, you were mainly inside the court. You worked really closely with the DA and you worked really closely with the judge to see if this offender will be eligible to be on regular probation or if it's something that they could succeed at. Um, Chris, I know you said that you completed a PSI before. And for you people who don't know what a PSI is, that's a pre-sentence investigation. So like I said, there's some background information that we have to come up with for this person who's committed this crime. So when, Chris, when you did PSIs, like how lengthy was it in your area? All right, so first of all, I'll take the S off the end. I've done one. I've only done one <laughs> pre-sentence investigation ever. Um, and it was, it's, it's lengthy. I want to say it was probably about, it was probably about 15 pages. And it was, um, and of course they're different, you know, wherever you, where, where you work in your jurisdiction. Okay. I know um, like pre-trial supervision and pre-sentence investigations are really big in the uh, federal probation system. Um, and there's, of course, there's are, you know, way more complicated, um, and way more detailed. Um, but a lot of it was just, um, it kind of goes back to the criminogenic needs that we're going to talk about. There's different categories. So it talks about, you know, it's actually about the offender's, uh, education. You know, did they finish high, did they finish high school? Did they have a GED? Did they do any kind of college? It asks as things about, um, employment history. Are they currently employed? What was the last job they had? How much did they make a year? Um, those kind of things. And it asks is about, is there any kind of mental health history? Do they have a diagnosis? Are they on any kind of medication? It asks about substance abuse. Um, do they have a substance abuse history? Um, you know, are they for DWI? You know, how, you know, how much do they drink? Have they ever had treatment for, for alcoholism? 
um, you know, for any, for other kinds of drugs, it asks, you know, questions about that. Have you, you know, how often do you use, um, what kind of drugs do you use? Uh, it asks about um, prior criminal history. So a big part of pre-sentence investigations is pulling that offender's criminal history, um, seeing, you know, what kind of, what have they been charged with in the past and what have they been convicted of? Because those are two different things. You know, police can charge you with a whole slew of things, but you might want to get convicted of one or two crimes. So they kind of look at, they look at, they want to know both um, to kind of see if there's a pattern. Because uh, normally if the cops charge you with something, I mean, they charge you for a reason. But of course, when it goes to court, it might get pled down. And might, a bunch of things might get, a bunch of charges might get dropped. Um, that's pretty standard in a, like a plea agreement. Um, what else? So criminal history, some abuse, mental health. Um, education, employment. I want to say those are the main categories. And then there's a section where they kind of ask the officer for their opinion, um, you know, based on your professional opinion from working uh, your job, do you think, you know, this offender would be, you know, a good fit for probation? Or should they just go ahead and do their time? Maybe that must be the best bet for that offender. You don't want to set them up to fail. If you have somebody that you, you know, the judge kind of looks at their pre-sentence investigation is like, yeah, you're not going to succeed at this. It might just be able to go ahead and activate your time. Go ahead and sit on down for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Don't pass go. Go straight to jail and uh, yeah. we'll holler at you and we'll smile at you. You know what I'm saying? Um, so, yeah, I've only done one. Um, and it took me, it took me, I want to say, it probably took me about a week to do. Because um, you know, I was doing it in between my, you know, working on my regular duties and just trying to gather, like, gather all the information, you know, talking to the offender calling family members, um, calling, uh, you know, pulling their criminal history up in the system, um, you know, calling previous employers and things like that. So, um, but those are pretty standard, like I said, in, in the federal probation system. And I think they're pretty big out in California also, uh, from my understanding. Um, but yeah, so pre now for your pretrial or bond release, did you got, did, um, did you guys use electronic monitoring? Well, it was on a case-by-case -case basis. It just really depend on the offense and the offender. Um, but it was a big thing, especially for DWI cases and felony cases. So not all misdemeanors were, you know, we had to do the PSIs on, but most all felonies in DWI cases, we had to do that. Um, but I wanted to talk about, before we get into probation, talking about being a PO, probation officer. <laughs> For a pretrial, you, some departments, you can just strictly do pre-sentence investigations like what Chris was explaining uh, or do bond supervision or supervise offenders who are going through that process. So there's levels, like he said, to being in probation or to being in community supervision. So if you get into an agency where they have that option of you just being a bond officer or you just being a pretrial officer, um, that it is, a, from my experience, seeing it, because I've never been a bond officer or a pre-child officer, but just from seeing it, um, it's, it's, a, it's a high intense, intensity job. Like, you're, you're constantly going back and forth with um, the courts and the offender and the offender's family. So, it's a lot. <laughs> and in my department where I worked, it's actually considered to be a promotion from just being a regular line officer. What about where you work, Chris? Um, in in when I worked juvenile probation in Pennsylvania, there in juvenile probation there is there is no pretrial. Um, you know, there's only probation, uh, juvenile probation. So there's no pretrial. Um, where I am now, 
Um, we don't actually have pretrial, but the county itself actually has a pretrial program. So whereas the state system that does probation and parole, um, we don't have that, but there is a pretrial office in, that's run by the county. And I'll, I think a big part of their responsibilities is trying to keep the jail numbers down. So trying to see who's eligible for some kind of electronic monitoring release or some kind of pretrial release. Um, I don't think they like go and see the um, offenders in the field. I think it's mostly, mostly, I think they mostly do electronic monitoring to make sure that they're living where they said they're living and they're, you know, they're being responsible, especially for like people that are on like um, DV charges that are pending to make sure they, they stay away from the victim. That's a big thing too. Um, so and yeah, for, for those of you who don't know, DV is domestic violence. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, <laughs> yes, they don't know. Uh, actually, our next episode, we're probably gonna talk, we're gonna talk some more about uh, specialized caseloads and specialized units, um, and we're gonna try to have a guest for our third episode. So definitely make sure you tune into that one. Um, but got to build bridges. So here we are talking about what community supervision is. All right. So um, now with uh, bond bond release, now if the the offender is violating their bond release. Let's say they're on electronic monitoring and they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing or they're told they can't drink and you know they're found out to be drinking. Um, what usually happens? Usually the defendant is taken into custody. So your bond, your bond will be revoked and the offender would have to sit in jail while they're going through the court process. How often do you think that happens? Well, with violations, especially if you don't, if you're on electronic monitoring, it, that happens quite often. But if you're out there abiding by the rules, there's no violations, then yeah, of course you can stay out. But they don't, well, in my area, they didn't take lightly people, um, especially DWI offenses. I don't know why, but in Texas, like that's a big thing. Like that's a big no-no in Texas. <laughs> you're not to drive while intoxicated. So that has almost a zero tolerance um, so if there's a violation with that monitor, or if you're not in the house at the time you're supposed to be in the house, that that's a big deal. You're most likely, I would say nine times out of 10, you're gonna be uh, issued a warrant and taken into custody. All right, so two questions, follow up. One is, do you guys have the um, the alcohol monitors that go on their legs and they check to see if they drink? And two, yes. um, who makes that arrest? Okay, so yes, we do have those monitors for those offenders. And the sheriff's office is the one, they're the ones who make the arrest. So typically if an offender comes to the office, you know, for their scheduled meeting with their bond officer, okay, yeah, the arrest can happen there, but it will still be uh, conducted by a, sheriff, uh, a deputy. So the sheriff's office would come and they would handle that. So say, for instance, the offender has violated the probation and they're at home or they're out and they're not reporting or something like that. The judge will issue the warrant, and then any arresting agency, any law enforcement officer could arrest that person, and then they will have to be transported to our county. Okay. Okay. Um, anything else that you want to uh, add about pretrial or um, bond supervision? I've never heard that term before. So, that, see, I'm, I'm learning things today. I've never heard of bond oh, okay. supervision before. <laughs> No, for pre-trial and bond supervision, we're good on that. If anybody has any questions about that, please leave them in the comment section below. Um, Chris and I will be checking the comments, and we will be responding to everybody. 
But we are going to move on to probation. So probation is basically when an offender has committed an offense, they've already gone through trial, and the judge has ordered them to be placed on probation, okay? So this is when you commit, it could be a misdemeanor or a felony offense. So as a probation officer, you will supervise men or women. Um, there's really not, at least in my experience in my area, there's not a preference. You can't choose, oh, I want to supervise a, a male offenders. Or I want to supervise female offenders. It's going to be a mixture of both. Um, the age range, the age range could be from 17 all the way up to 100, <laughs> however old people get. So you can't just like pick a specific um, group. Um, Chris, in your experience uh, as being an adult officer, do you feel like you had more offenders that were male or female or because for me, it was kind of almost like 60, 40, I don't know, 50, 50, almost. I think statistically, there, um, statistically nationwide, there are more male offenders than there are female offenders. Um, but I've never. I didn't want to say that. but <laughs> I've never I've never heard of and I'm not saying it's not possible because I'm sure somewhere in the country, maybe they do it like that. But I've never heard of. Um, like, you know, uh, caseloads divided up by, you know, what your sex is. I've never, I've never seen that. Um, when I was a juvenile officer, I had males and females. Um, now, there, would be, there might be situations where, you know, depending on what that, that offender's history is, they might, it, you know, the, the supervisor might decide it'd be better for them to be with a male officer or a female officer, depending on what their history is. So if you have, um, let's say you have a female uh, offender that has a history of being uh, abused, they they might they they might just for that uh, offender's you know mental health status, go ahead and assign them a female PO. Um, I've actually experienced situations where I've had male offenders that don't get along with female officers whatsoever. Whether it's uh, they just can't have a woman be in authority over them. Um, or they're just being, you know, highly inappropriate with that female officer, and then they come to me, and I love that. Um, <laughs> so that's that's happened to come. That's happened. That's that's happened several times when I was a juvenile officer. That's happened several times as an adult officer. Um, and like I so said, so besides those off circumstances, normally it's kind of uh, you know you're put into a rotation, um, and whatever case comes in doesn't matter if it's male or female, it, it gets assigned to an officer based on a rotation. Now, when I was a juvenile officer in PA, um, we were actually broken up into uh, school districts. So um, we had officers assigned to different school districts and that's where your caseload would come from. Now the area I covered, um, we had two officers um, and uh, it just happened to be broken up with the, uh, my partner, Lori, she had um, she was a school-based officer, so she had kids that were in the school system, and I had, just the way my caseload was designed, I had kids that weren't in the school system, so these were uh, kids who were either in cyber school or they were dropouts, which generally tend to be more high risk because they're not in school, so they're in a structured environment, um, usually their parents are at work during the day, so these kids are out and about committing crimes, um, being delinquents, so but generally, that's how it is. I do know that some places they do uh, divide offenders up by maybe where they live. You know, if you have like a large county, they might break offenders up by, um, they might break the county up into different zones. 
and uh, assign assign the offenders to that PO that's in that zone. Um, so I brought that up about you know supervising only men or supervising only women because on my YouTube channel, your favorite PO, I've gotten some questions like that. Like, can I choose which type of vendor I supervise? No. In reality, most often, no, you can't. You're going to be supervising both men and women. But probation is for when an offender commits an offense and they're taken to jail, not prison. So if they're released from jail, then they will come to probation if the judge orders that. Um, so that's the difference between probation and parole. A lot of people ask me that, like, what is the difference between being a probation officer and a parole officer? For the offenders that a probation officer supervises comes from the county jail. Right, Chris? Am I right? That's correct. I mean, and there's also offenders that would never serve a day in jail, too. So if they, let's say that guy that, uh, that from our example, the guy that committed that B&E, right? So he gets to the, he gets to the jail, he meets the magistrate, um, and magistrate sets a bond or gives them an unsecured bond, which is very common now um, with everything going on with the Rona, uh, AKA COVID-19, um, AKA coronavirus, um, AKA coronavirus is real. Uh, depending on, uh, depending on about the magistrate feels based on that offender's history and whatever else they look at, um, you know, they might never set a day in jail. They might get an unsecured bond to give them a court date. And as long as that offender shows up every court date and does what he has to do, he, so he takes a plea for, you know, breaking and entering uh, or possessing possession of, you know, stolen merchandise or whatever it is that, you know, they take a plea to, then they might get straight put on probation. So let me ask you down in your area, how do they um, determine the amount of, uh, trying to figure out how to word this. So normally with probation, well, in adult probation where I am now, you get what's called a suspended sentence, which is what well, you committed this offense by general statute or by the law, this is how much time you would do for this offense. But we're gonna suspend that, which means you're not gonna go serve that time, but instead you're gonna do you know, one, 12 months supervised probation. Is that how they do it in Texas? Yep, that's the same way. In juvenile probation, there is no time that's put on that's put on probation. So the way it works in Pennsylvania is this what's called the Juvenile Act, which is the law that governs juvenile offenses and juvenile probation and juvenile court. So the way it works is that by law, the juvenile has to have a court hearing, either before a hearing officer, a hearing officer, or a um, judge, depending on the type of offense they committed. Like if it's a felony, they usually they have to they have to see a judge. If it's a misdemeanor, um, they can they see what's called a hearing officer, or they used to call them courtmasters, um, which is kind of like a step below a judge. So it's kind of like a kind of like a magistrate's type thing, but it's for juveniles. Um, but they kind they hear they have to hear their case every six months. So the way it works in juvenile is uh, generally the short shortest amount of time you could be on probation would probably be about six months. Um, cause that's my, that's the amount of time by law. You have to have a hearing now it can be shorter. So let's say you're doing, you know, you're doing very well. Uh, you did whatever you had to do. Let's say you had to do some, some abuse treatment. You had to pay some restitution and get good grades. You know, your, uh, your attorney can ask to have a, a hearing at three months and then you might get off. Um, but at the minimum, every six months you'll have a hearing 
at the minimum. Now, judges generally could order shorter periods of time. So a judge might say, well, I want to see you back here in three months. Uh, that, that happens a lot. Um, so the judges feel that they have more control uh, or more involvement with what's going on with that juvenile. So as far as probation is concerned, if an offender is coming, we don't let me restate this, okay? So as far as probation is concerned, if an offender is committed a crime and they are coming out of the county jail, or as Chris said, sometimes they're not even serving any time and they're being placed on probation, that's what a PO or probation officer is for. But parole is a different, is a whole different beast. Not to say that the offenders that a probation officer supervises can't have a history of being in prison. But parole is to supervise offenders who are released from prison. And then Chris is going to tell us a little bit more about that role. So let's, let's talk, Chris. Sure. All right. So parole. Parole is supervision after incarceration. Okay. So now the way it works, parole would usually work is, you know, the, uh, the offender is given a certain amount of time that they have to serve. Um, let's say they have to serve five years in prison. And then... They might say, depending on your state, depending on what the state law is, they have maybe a certain amount of percentage. You have to serve a certain percentage of your time, whether it's 90%, 85%, or whatever it is. And then they'll say, uh, at let's say you serve five, at four years, you're eligible for parole. So the way parole works is that you would be, there's what's called a controlling authority. Uh, some states have what are called parole boards, which are, or a parole commission. These are, these are uh, organizations of, uh, of appointed people, and there's usually a small number of them, that they make these decisions. They look at the offender's history, uh, they might consult with the victim to see if it's appropriate for this person to be released from prison early. Um, the main difference between parole and the new term that a lot of places started using uh, in the early 90s is what's called post-release supervision or post-release community supervision. Um, or in Ohio, they call it post-release control. So post-release basically means it's, it's post-incarceration. It's time you're serving after you've been incarcerated. And most places now are, um, post-release is not, let me see, phrase like this, post-release is you cannot refuse post-release, okay? So let's say you're convicted of a crime, you do 90% of your time, and let's say you have nine months to a year left, they, they will release you onto uh, post-release supervision. And those times vary by state. Every state has different, has different amount of times you might serve. But it's all time you've, you, this time you've served in prison and then you're getting out of supervision. Um, and then the commissioner, pro board, or whatever your state calls it, they'll set the rules and conditions. They're usually pretty similar to probation. You, know, you gotta do some abuse assessment, uh, you got to check in with your officer. You might have to pay a fee every month. Um, and the main purpose of that is to offer like smooth, meaningful, and comprehensive tr uh, transition of offenders from incarceration to, to the community. So the issue they were having was that, you know, people go to prison, then they'll, you know, do, do all their time, get out. They don't have no housing. They still have a drug problem. They never learned how to deal with it while they were in prison because either the prison didn't offer it or for any kind of classes or treatment or NA or AA while they were in there um, or they just refused to do it while they were in there. So they still have a drug problem. They're homeless. They have no job. They might be, um, they might not have family to support them. You know, their family members might have passed away while they were in prison or um, they burned their bridges with their family 
so they can't go back home. So the whole purpose of community supervision after uh, prison is to help them with those resources. Um, you know, where's the homeless shelter? Where is transitional housing? Um, here is, you know, substance abuse program. Here is a mental health program. So that way they have a smooth transition. Plus, uh, statistically, when they get out of prison is the most, uh, within that first year is when they're at the highest level of recidivism. Um, so that's what, so difference between parole and post-release is that with parole, you actually have the option of refusing it. So if you're eligible for parole, you can say, I don't want to do parole, I just want to do my time. I don't want, I don't want a PO coming to check on me. I don't want to have to worry about no curfew. I don't want to worry about an ankle monitor. I don't have to worry about doing some abuse classes. I'm just going to sit here for this next 12 months or whatever period of time they have left and get out and I don't got to worry about none of y'all. Okay, I ain't got to worry about no parole searches. I ain't got to worry about y'all popping up in my house, coming to my job, none of that. And, you know, some people do that. Now, with post-release, there is no option. By law, you got to take it. And if you violate, you go back to prison, you do the rest of your time. So that's kind of how, that's kind of how that works. And every state is different. Like in Pennsylvania, every, uh, there's the county level where there's, um, in the county I worked in, we had juvenile probation. Then we had a, the adult probation and parole office. Now they didn't actually do parole as in prison. They did parole as in, um, you were ordered to do a certain amount of time in jail. And then it's, uh, usually it's, I think it's less than two years. I think you do jail less than two years in PA. And let's say um, you're eligible for, let's say you do a year and a half, those six months, they consider that parole but it's jail parole as opposed to like prison parole. And then there's also what's called state parole, which is in, uh, covers the entire state of Pennsylvania. And they had parole agents that supervised those offenders that were released from prison onto parole. Um, I know in, in New Jersey, they have probation officers at the county level, which they, they lean very heavy towards the social worker side. I wanna say they're probably like 80, 20 over there. So, I mean, we talk about the 50-50 balance between social worker and, uh, you know, law enforcement. They're like 80-20. Um, but they have parole also, which is a separate agency. And I want to say they're probably a good 70-30 towards the law enforcement side because their primary ob objective is to protect the community from these people that's got out of prison. So that's really the, that's really the difference between parole and post-release. They're both after a term of prison. Um, Difference being parole, you can refuse it. Post-release, you can't. Um, and the whole goal of it is to like, it reintegrate the offender back into prison. You, know, you might have someone that's did 10 years. When they get out, they don't know what an iPhone is. Shoot. They don't know, they don't know how to, they don't know YouTube and Zoom and um, IG. They don't know any of that. You know, they, don't, they, they come out and their neighborhood looks different. Um, like I said, family members have passed away. Family members have been born. And, you know, a lot of them need help with, you know, adjusting back into the community. And that's where community supervision in terms of uh, parole officers or post-release officers come into play. So that's the beauty of being in corrections or community supervision. There's a, a wide array 
of positions that you can take or if you, even if you start at one you can move into other ones so i like to when people ask me you know is this a good job is this a good field uh, is there room to grow and all that type of stuff my answer is always yes because when you think of a probation officer you might think of one thing but there's actually levels to this right as you can tell from what chris and i have discussed um so maybe you started as a parole officer and you're like hey i don't want to do that you can come over here to the probation side, or you can come over here to bond supervision. Like, there's, there's, there's room for growth. There's room to learn a lot of things. So, Chris, um, as far as your experience, okay, you've been a juvenile PO, an adult PO. Is there somewhere you want to go after adult supervision? Like, somewhere higher, another department? Uh, me, personally, um, the new position I'm in right now, because uh, I have a specialized caseload, I'm very happy with that. Uh, I'm sure, you know, later on in life, when I get older, I might want to be a supervisor. Now, remind the people what your your specialized caseload is. Uh, right now, I'm working a uh, drug court. So I deal primarily with uh, drug addicts that are um, ordered into drug treatment court, and they have to uh, abide by all the rules of drug court, which uh, is something we can talk about more you know, when we get to our specialized caseload episode. Um, I didn't have a specialized caseload when I was in juvenile. Um, I mean, just the way my caseload was designed, it was more high risk, um, juveniles, but they didn't call it a high risk caseload or anything like that. It was just, I was just a regular officer. Um, but we had specialized caseloads in juvenile too. And in juvenile probation, there is, uh, generally, well, in PA, there is no parole or post-release. Um, the whole thing is called probation. So if a juvenile gets arrested while they're on probation and the judge sends them to a, uh, orders them into a juvenile, uh, facility, to do treatment, like a placement facility, when they get out, they're still on probation until the judge says they're done. So, and the thing is that there is no time limit. So honestly, man, I've had, I, I had, I had, I had juveniles that I got when they were 14 and I kept them up till they were 18. Yeah. Dang, that's, that's yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, of course, every six months they got their, uh, their mandatory by law review with the judge, um, but they would need to keep messing up. Um, you know, go to placement, mess up there, or they'll complete, come back home, mess up again. Um, it happens. It happens. It's rare, but it can happen. All right. So to sum up today's episode, we talked about pretrial or bond supervision, um, probation, parole, or post-release. So if anybody has any questions regarding anything that we talked about in today's podcast, please leave a comment down below. Please subscribe to our YouTube, and I will also leave our links to our Instagram to the Two Heads podcast, as well as my personal IG, which is your favorite PO, and Chris's IG, which is the tactical underscore probation officer. I had to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys so much for tuning into this week's episode. We will have a new episode for you next Wednesday right here at the Two Heads Podcast. Y'all stay safe. All right, family, be safe.